Our friends over there at the uh, Tripping on Air podcast, folks, are getting into the holiday spirit, I'm here to tell you. They're giving away a ton of prizes as part of the 2022 MS Holiday Gift Guide. Go to ami.ca slash TOA contest to review the list of prizes and enter for your chance to win. The contest closes December 1st at 11.59 p.m. ET, so you better get on it. Please, also, one set of entries per day. Winners will be contacted via email and listed on the Tripping On Air Instagram page. So uh, if you want to be part of that, folks, better hop to it. A little more than a week to get your uh, entry in. Ramya Muthan, Kelly McDonald, we are the hosts of the program. I'm at the Home Studio London, Ontario. She at the Home Studio in Toronto. And we welcome in from Vancouver to talk health headlines, reporter Grant Hardy. Welcome back. Grant, how are you today? Good, good. Thanks for having me on. Sir, where do you want to begin? Yeah, lots to get to today. Let's start with an article from CBC News. Uh, Nunavut and Ontario joined a federal effort to boost number of organ and tissue donors. So these two provinces have agreed to take part in a federal initiative to ensure the viability of Canada's organ and tissue donation system. Uh, they've agreed to the addition of a question on your income tax returns, asking filers for permission to share contact information with provinces and territories. When people in those jurisdictions mark a box on the form, provincial governments will send those people information about how they can register for organ and tissue donations. So it's important to remember that it doesn't automatically opt you in. But the federal government says the initiative is necessary because less than a quarter of Canadians are registered organ and tissue donors. Advocates say that's not enough to ensure all Canadians who need a donation get one. The group is in the midst of a campaign to register 120,000 more organ donors by April 1st. So far, they've signed up a little over 61,000. Uh, now, interestingly, the Ontario community with the lowest registration rate is Markham, with a rate of 16%, while the jurisdiction with the highest registration rate is Russell. 60% uh, of, of residents in Ontario are registered. And interestingly, uh, what I would not have expected is that the jurisdictions with the least amount of registered donors are actually those around Toronto. Interesting, wow. huh? Not, wow. Not, well, not when you think and, and, and when you think about population base, that's I think where it makes you stop and say, "Well, hold it." First of all, you have a, a, a lot of potential donors as well as you know potential need right there. Uh, you know, in in that that area due to the high population. And I remember Grant as a kid when they would say, you know, uh, on your donor card or or your license and so on and you know like, oh, I can't get a driver's license and, and I remember hearing about it at I have to say the age of ten or something um, via television and instantly wanted wanted to sign in and 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 just mm. make sure it was really interesting because it really took me when I when I first heard it of course I've known you know people who have who have spoke highly uh ab about it who are uh, recipients and have been on this program on now with Dave Brown and we've had the, those discussions about what it means and I've heard people speak 
about it and how much that donation, how far it can go if someone donates uh, their body in the case of their own death. Um, it's really amazing what gets done. And to hear that, yeah, it's, it's still not enough, guys. We, we still need more. Wow. So we've got work to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's an interesting one because, you know, we talk a lot about the importance of respecting people's bodily autonomy. And so I can understand why an opt-out system instead of opt-in might not be uh, exactly what people want. But I think the thing that I'm concerned about is just the fact that uh, probably a I, I would imagine a significant amount of people who aren't registered would be fine with people using their their organs, uh, being organ donors, but either the process is too bureaucratic, they just yeah. haven't thought about it, there's maybe a, a language barrier. So, yeah. and, and that's re- really unfortunate because if anything, like, I don't know, doesn't it not only feel good, but you kind of want to think, I don't know, this sounds morbid, but you're... I don't know, you're living on, or part of you is, I don't know, your legacy is a bit stronger, mm-hmm. maybe, as an organ donor, you know? Yeah, and and that's true, too. Like, the assumption, Kelly, you touched on it as well, of people assuming that it's after you die that these things come up is really not the case. And that part of it is um, a lot to struggle with for, for many of us, right? Like assumptions and everything aside, you know, what is prohibiting or slowing down people from wanting to, to donate organs? And I, you'll I feel find like there's that just even not enough information. Uh, with blood donation, you'll even notice everything. that some people are not comfortable with plasma or platelets, maybe giving whole blood, but there's so much Tissue else even donation, on that level. Like, do yeah. we even know what that means, what that process is? <laughs> you know, it, none of it, right? Like we, we barely uh, have touched the surface. So all these people who are um, putting in their their work to try to get this out there is huge. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, things like blood donation, um, that, I mean, that's super important, obviously. I, yeah. I can understand how people who are uncomfortable with, with needles or, you know, that has, that has a, a sort of a painful process to it, but there's, there's very little reason, I think, for most people why donating their organs after death would not be feasible. I, for religious reasons, for sure. But, you know, just some, someone like me, I, I certainly can't imagine any kind of a downside. So, mm. yeah, I encourage anyone out there listening who's thinking about it. This could be a good opportunity to register yeah. if you're not uh-huh. already. Yeah, and there's just, it was, I know during the pandemic, it was a really tough time and we heard a lot of upsetting things of of organs literally going to waste where people were waiting for them and things just because of the shutdowns and everything and surgeries, there was some very scary stories and I hope that hasn't caused people too to be alarmed or concerned. We understand that's something that happened. It's something we hope never to have happen again in our lifetime. Obviously something that can happen, uh, pandemics, but there were circumstances. So hopefully people understand the value and how much good it can do in, in the eventuality that uh, you are in the situation to become a donator. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So listen, I want to talk about a bit of a heavier subject here, which is signs that you're in a toxic relationship if that's okay with you guys um i guess maybe just a 
warning if you're, you know, going through this or you, you feel you may be triggered by this. It's just exercise and self-care. Um, but this is from BBC Science Focus magazine, and I thought this was uh, interesting. So the, now the, the toxic label isn't actually a scientific term, they say, but it's generally used to imply that a partner is exerting some kind of harmful control or abuse, whether physical, psychological, sexual, over their partner, uh, and usually involves the victim feeling trapped in the relationship. Now, sometimes, of course, that can be very, uh, you know, uh, obvious, and it's useful to go through uh, some of those scales that the professionals use. For example, like, does my partner feel, make me feel afraid or threatened even just in my own home or even without uh, uh, touching me? Um, and if that's the case, like, you really do need to get out and seek some help immediately. Um, but psychological control and coercion can also take many forms, such as isolating you from financial or emotional support, restricting your access to friends and family, monitoring your behavior with spyware or other devices, making you feel worthless via insults or public shaming, uh, and enforcing rules upon you that make you feel humiliated. If your partner makes you doubt your own judgment, this is also manipulative and sometimes referred to as gaslighting. Again, it can be insightful to look at ways that uh, researchers measure these kinds of things. For instance, uh, scholars at the Autonomous University of Madrid re recently investigated why teenage victims stayed in physically abusive relationships. Uh, they used a measure of psychological coercion specifically towards staying committed to the relationship that involved statements such as, my partner encourages me to believe that life is meaningless outside of the relationship, and my partner makes me feel that I should be grateful to him or her for staying in the relationship. Uh, now, they also, all, all of these are related to your partner's behavior, but another uh, important component is how the relationship makes you feel. This is really key. So if the stress of your relationship is severely affecting your sleep, if you feel constantly emotionally drained, such as being made to feel guilty, ashamed, or afraid, or if you're manifesting physical symptoms as a consequence of the unhappiness, or if you just dread seeing your partner, uh, that's a really, really good indication that you need to get out, and depending on the relationship, to seek some help. So that's just an info from... Uh, BBC Science Focus magazine that I wanted to throw up there today. Awesome. Thank you for bringing that forward and you know sharing that with us and and I think for for people overall it gives us something to think about watch and and especially people in your life um maybe to keep an eye but mostly those who uh, maybe are are answering some of those questions with a yeah that's that's how I feel. Thanks for sharing uh, that Grant. Yeah. Go ahead, Ron. The uh the um, part that, sorry, I'm just trying to collect my thoughts. So the part that talked about, you know, social media, red flags, the word toxic, mm. not necessarily being a scientific thing. I think that that stuff is really important to talk about because even though, you know, we're not always thinking specifically and noticing specific signs, Grant, it's all part of this conversation that's now happening right like here they're they're even they've done studies on 
teenagers, teenage relationships. And, mm. and we're getting younger and younger when we're having these conversations. That, to me, is so mm. important. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that's absolutely true. And I also think that, you know, it's interesting just to do a little bit of personal introspection, too. Like, look, I, yes. I think we a lot of us have been there, like, why is my partner talking to this other person, like the opposite sex, or why are they doing this, or why are they doing that? But I, I guess it's just interesting to think, like, instead of, you know, maybe lashing out at your partner or trying to, mm-hmm. to control who they communicate, you know, to kind of decide, like, do I, do I trust my partner? Like, if so, maybe trust both of our, our judgments or, or seek a, a couple's counselor, but don't yeah. just like snoop through their phone or try and control who they communicate with. Absolutely. Like uh, how you're bringing yourself to the relationship as well. And and that goes along with the reflection they're talking about in this article, right? About um, how you're feeling, how you're feeling about this relationship, about who you are in this relationship, who that other person is and, and the way that you are both connecting. Uh, lots of, lots of great points. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, like one other one would be, um, you know, and this is something honestly I've dealt with too in the past is let, you know, let's say you have like some separation anxiety about not yes. being with your partner for a while. You know, it's important. Listen, I'm not an expert, but I, from what I've heard, it's important to do some introspection about like, okay, how am I portraying this to my partner? Mm-hmm. Like, am I portraying this as when are you going to see me? What are you doing? Etc. Or am I like, okay, if this is something I need to deal with my emotions with, you know, counselor about, you know, that's one thing that, right. that maybe you need to do that. But just, just separating, just separating all that out. So it's not like ver- the verbal, relationship. Yeah. yeah. Verbal stuff towards your partner doesn't make any sense. For sure. Mm-hmm. Grant. Awesome. Thank you for bringing this forward. Thank you for the items today. All right, guys. Thanks so much. Hope that wasn't too heavy. Hey, that's it's, we'll be it's back all... with some important. Yeah, we'll be back with some lighter, quirky stories a little later on today. <laughs> He's going to go and switch hats, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Grant Hardy bringing us our health headlines. As he mentioned, he will be back a little later on with what in the world on the program. But up next, the sky's the limit. Youth organization has a special upcoming anniversary. We're going to learn about the organization and its mission with Margaret Weldon in two minutes.